Welcome into Smooth Operators with your hosts, Noah, Griggs, and Ben, going through the world of Formula One. If you want to interact with the show today, you can tweet at us at Noah underscore Phillips, at Junior underscore McClurkin, and at the Griggs B. It's time for the green flag, and it's lights out, and away we go. Hello, everybody. Welcome in. This is Weagle 91.1 FM and the first ever edition of Smooth Operators, Weagle's premier F1 show. This is our first show, ladies and gentlemen. We're here in the Melton Student Center in the Bradley Basin Studios. I'm Griggs Blankenberg. Alongside me, Mr. Nola Phillips and making his Weagle debut, Mr. Ben McClurkin. Ben, how you doing? Happy to be here, folks. Just really enjoying the atmosphere here at Weagle today. Excited to break down some Formula One news for you guys. Yes, and also on the board right now, it's got Mr. Noah Phillips. Noah, how you doing, bro? I'm doing fantastic, and I'm excited as ever to talk about some Formula One with you guys. Yes, this will be a new show. We're going to be on every Friday at 1 p.m., so get ready for that. We'll be covering you all throughout the season. Well, let's just go ahead and jump right into it today. Let's just go ahead and start with what we are recapping, Spa. So Spa just recently happened. That happened last Sunday was the race, and the other day, um, anyone want to break that down specifically? Ben, you want to go ahead and get that one? Yeah, so Spa is obviously one of my favorite tracks. A lot of elevation change, actually the most elevation change on the Formula One calendar. Very high speed, um, multiple exits out of the first turn, lots of passing, overtaking opportunities. Um, But yeah, so... um, Several teams were taking engine upgrades, including Red Bull, uh, putting Max Verstappen from P3 on the grid, I believe it was, all the way down to P14. He wound up winning that race from P14, making an average of two overtakes per lap. And if you look at the circuit of a Spa, you kind of have to take those engine upgrades because of how straight and narrow the circuit is and how fast you have to be while going along, especially into however you pronounce, Elon Rouge. You want to take that? I know you're better at pronouncing stuff than me. O'Rouge. O'Rouge, yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Obviously, I'm not going to be able to pronounce most of this stuff. Hopefully, these two pick up the slack for me. Yeah, so the Dutch Grand Prix was won by, as Ben said, uh, sorry, the Belgian Grand Prix spa was won by, as Ben said, Mr. Max Verstappen going all the way back from P14 to P1. His teammate, uh, Sergio Checo Perez, finishes second place. P2, 17.8 seconds behind Verstappen. That's a long way. Especially coming from a – that was Max the week beforehand – or the race before then, not the week before him. So a month ago, Max won for coming from P10. So And then now he, that was his longest ever uh, P whatever place it was to first. Now he upgrades that to P13. It was originally going to be, I think, P14, but then someone else uh, – Gasly took Gasly it. Gasly started mm-hmm. from the pit started lane. From the That's pit correct. Lane. So he – his grid slot was P14, but his actual position uh, among the other cars was P13. Um, so, notable retirements. Lewis Hamilton goes out in lap one after absolutely plowing into the back of Fernando Alonso, the Alpine driver. And Fernando had some hot comments on that. Griggs, can you read those for us? Do you remember what he said exactly? He was like, well, uh, what does this idiot think he's doing? He's always starting at the front. He never really has to deal with this type of stuff. Yeah, just straight up called him an idiot. He plans to apologize at the paddock at the Dutch Grand Prix, which is actually happening. I think they did that yesterday, right? No, on I saw that on Twitter, right? 
Yeah, it was probably on Twitter, but I think in the back of Federer uh, Alonzo's mind, he knows he does not care. He's old. He knows these young kids need to be taught a lesson, you know, so he does not care at all. Yeah, because we're classifying Lewis as a young kid. But compared to Alonzo, he's still technically a little younger. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Everybody's young compared to Alonzo. (laughs) That dude's older than my dad. And so, yeah, the top three from uh, Spa were, as we said, Max Verstappen in first, Sergio Perez in second, 17 seconds behind Verstappen, and Carlos Sainz for the Scuderia, 26 seconds behind uh, Max as well. And that was as dominant as it can be. Yeah, that was – Ferrari did as much as they could. Red Bull was just clearly the better team, and they have been quite a bit. And they've made some questionable calls Ferrari has this season, especially going back to the last few races. They have cost their lead driver, Charles Leclerc, quite a few points. They have indeed, yeah. Now we had something to say about that? Oh, uh, I have a lot to say about <laughs> that. It's not that hard to be a strategist, you know. I go I go into my F1 game, and I can come up with a pretty decent strategy. Speak probably for yourself. Ferrari should probably hire me. <laughs> so, you know, if any Ferrari engineers are listening to this, please give me a call. And so, yeah, let's just go through the driver standings real quickly. Go through the top five. In first place, Max Verstappen at 284 points. Followed now, this changed after the last race. Sergio Perez is in second with 191. And now, now at one point, over 30 points ahead of Max. Now, a 98 points behind Max is Charles Leclerc of Ferrari at 186 points. At the beginning, speaking for myself, but the beginning of the year after Australia, I I thought it was going to be over. I'm like, okay, Ferrari's got this thing under under wraps. Me still being new-ish to Formula One, I've not known their past. Now I'm starting to learn more of that, so that was not the case. The master plan. Nature finds a way, Mm -hmm. to quote Jurassic Park. And then followed by Charles is his teammate Carlos Sainz in 171 points. Carlos picked up his first win this year as well at Silverstone. That happened before we even did this show, but that was still quite a race. Quite a race. And you could have said that Charles, they could have given Charles a chance for the win right there too, but... As we'll say probably a lot starting on the show soon, it's just Ferrari being Ferrari. Yeah, just Ferrari being Ferrari, not knowing what to do with their drivers, even though one of them is a smooth operator just like ourselves. Mm-hmm. Agreed, yes. And then the other one is the t- one of the top drivers to come out of Formula 2 in 2018, I believe. And really, Charles is going to be one of the next best things in Formula 1. And I see a long, illustrious career ahead of him. If he can get past his bad luck and if he can get past Ferrari being Ferrari, you know, the Scuderia Ferrari has had a long history of screwing up strategy, questionable team orders, and some really shoddy reliability. The last time they were anywhere near the front was 2019, just because Sebastian Vettel carried the team on his back for quite a while, but that turned sour and Vettel is now retiring at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Noah, coming from yourself, you already talked about this as a Ferrari fan. Just You were talking about you wanting to be a strategist, but even though it does seem really bleak right now, what do they need to do to get back up to have even a shot once the race gets to Abu Dhabi or even Brazil at that point? Well, I think obviously you have to have better strategy, but the other thing you got to do is just pray. <laughs> you got to pray something happens to Max Verstappen, not physically, not physically, but just to his car, and then you got to. Charles Leclerc is a fantastic driver. 
And Ferrari makes some amazing machines. They can very easily come back and very easily win this thing if they get a little bit of luck and they go out there and they just dominate. And that's going to be something that we're going to watch for as a Ferrari fan, but we know that's probably not going to happen. Then coming from like the luck side of things, I mean, you had Max at Silverstone took that big piece of debris underneath his car that was slowing him down like the, almost the whole race. And Charles could have taken advantage of that, but Ferrari kept down Carlos out there. I mean, it might have helped them the constructor, but still, it just they wanted to try to at the beginning of the year when Charles uh, Charles won two of the first three races. You had to think they're going to try to prioritize him more, and Carlos kind of took it into his own hands a little bit during that race. Kind of disobeyed maybe some team orders and just kept on doing what he wanted to do and that led to his first win yeah and that's something that I don't really mind you know if you are a driver and somebody's telling you to do something but you know for a fact you got to know for a fact that you can go out there and win a race and do something like that I think you take it I don't really mind that as a fan maybe that's because we're, we're Americans and you know we that's how we view sports you just win baby to quote Al Davis mm-hmm. but yeah one of the best quotes in the world just win baby but um I think that's something that Carlos could very easily do is just go out there and win a race. But on the other hand, you know, with with the uh, instances of Valtteri Bottas and Lewis Hamilton in 2019 and 2020, Valtteri looked out for himself and wound up costing both of them on several occasions. He, in one instance, gave Max Verstappen a toe down the the home straight and – gave Max Verstappen P1 over his teammate in order to give himself a better position on the grid. And, you know, sometimes it's fine to take your fate into your own hands, but other times you have to do what's best for the team because the team is the people that's giving you your job at the end of the day, and they're the ones that are paying your contract. So if you do what's best for you, you can be out of a seat. And you've seen that a few times, actually, throughout history. The drivers that have been historically and notoriously selfish wind up getting fired or getting transferred to worse teams just to stay in because they took matters into their own hands. So it's definitely something to look out for with uh, the situation with Carlos and Charles. Carlos knows he is not as fast as Charles. I think it's apparent because he has made decisions that have benefited Ferrari more than himself and more than furthering his own career. I think what he did at Spa, I will agree, Noah, was a great decision just because Charles didn't have the pace that day. And he put his team in a better position to score points and go up in the manufacturer's standings. And you brought up uh, the Lewis Hamilton Valtteri Bottas relationship. With a race relationship like that, you knew. Lewis Hamilton was the guy. Valtteri Bottas knew that Lewis Hamilton was the guy. He was brought in as a number two, Bottas was. Exactly. And I think Ferrari will eventually look at Carlos and just go, you're number two, dude. Like, you got to help Charles out. That's the bottom line. You've got to do that. But until that happens, I think Carlos will continue to push his limit, so to speak. Yeah, in the last couple minutes before we go to our first break, um, Let's do this real quick. Uh, first, in the constructor standings, let's go run through real quick. Uh, Red Bull is in first in the constructor standings with 475 points, followed still in second place is Ferrari with 357. Now, 118 behind Red Bull, so a little bit more of a gap to cover than they had in the previous little bit since Red Bull had another 1-2 recently. It's 
kind of crazy to me to think that last year we only had one one two, and that was in Monza with Ricardo and Lando. And now this year we've had what is this is probably the th- third Red Bull. I know Ferrari's had the one two at uh, Bahrain, but I just can't think of another like. It's just been a lot of one-twos more this year. I mean, Lewis and Valtteri had a lot in the years prior in 2020, 2019. But, yeah, just interesting to see that happening this year. Well, I think a big part of that is the fact that as the seasons kind of move away, that new uh, limit on cash that teams can spend, that's going to cause a lot more of uh, nobody really dominating like they did when Lewis and Baltas were there. Last season was probably – one of the greatest seasons of all time, and I think I'm fair to say that. And I think we're going to get more seasons like that. I think this season is just kind of more filling out process, especially with the new car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then let's uh, third place. You have Mercedes 316. Beginning of the year looked a little shaky. I mean, they got on the both on the podium. Uh, they got uh, Lewis got on the podium in Bahrain, but no, that was some reliability issues. And then way behind in fourth, 200, uh, 200 point, 201 points behind Mercedes. Is, number four is Alpine at 115 points. And then fifth is McLaren at 95. So do we have any more thoughts on the race over the last weekend before we go to break, Ben? Uh, my thoughts is, is Ferrari shows up to Zandvoort with a engine that catches on fire and strategists whose hair is on fire they will be out of the fight completely, and you can kiss a Red Bull goodbye. You don't have any faith in the ponies. No. Prancing horses are just kind of stepping right now. Yeah, that's going to do it for our first segment. When we come back, we're going to get into more of the news in Formula 1, specifically Oscar Piastri. You're listening to Smooth Operators on Weagle 91.1 FM. Hello, folks. We are back with the smoothest operators of legal 91.1 fm the exclusive f1 show on the student run podcast here at auburn griggs how are we doing nobody asked you that at the start of the show i probably should have asked you that but you know yeah i'm doing good man how yeah i asked everyone how y'all are doing but yeah i didn't, didn't get to ask myself but i'm doing good today's been a good day but now no what do you what are we wanting to talk about now I think we're going to talk about the biggest news that woke me up this morning. The move that Oscar Paneri will be racing for McLaren barring a CRB decision. I know I messed that name up. Piastri. Piastri. Good Lord. You can just say Oscar, I guess. Uh, Oscar. The man from F2. There we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the Twitter circles have been chalking this up as a great piasco. Um, yes, pun intended there. Um so what happened was, due to the retirement of Sebastian Vettel, Fernando Alonso announced that he was moving his services over to the Aston Martin team from Alpine, his former employer. And Alpine announced that the F2 champion, Oscar Piastri, would be driving for them. Almost immediately afterwards, Oscar Piastri has a very famous tweet. He says... Griggs, do you have that tweet pulled up? I don't, but I can if you give me a second. Yeah, I don't I don't want to misquote it, but basically what he said was Alpine announced me I'm not going to be driving for them. Um and that was a very bold move by him. He was under contract with Alpine 
and he was in their driver academy. Alpine got him in lots of tests in the past two years. So what did he say, Greg? I have the tweet right here. This is from August 2nd when Alpine announced him. He said this, I understand that without my agreement, Alpine F1 have put out a press release late this afternoon that I am driving for them next year. This is wrong, and I have not signed a contract with Alpine for 2023. I will not be driving for Alpine next year. That is bold. How do you mess that up, though, if you're Alpine? How do you not make sure that you are signed this guy and he's ready to go before you release a press release? I mean, to be fair, he was still technically under contract, which is why this has taken so long we found out today. Yeah, and he was a member of their driver academy. He's been racing for Alpine and F2 for two years now. He won the championship this season. He is, I mean, he's an incredible talent. And Alpine obviously would have been happy to have him. I think his management, specifically Mark Weber, who has an inroad with McLaren, was like, hey, I'm going to gonna try and get you a better seat than one at Alpine. I don't know necessarily if it is an upgrade, just given McLaren's difference in form to Alpine this season. And they are technically below them in the constructors this year. Yeah, well. but I think that's partially due to the performance of Daniel Ricciardo this season, who is now out of a seat, which has opened up the spot for Oscar Piastri to move in at McLaren, thanks to Mark Weber and his connections with the McLaren team. And this has just been a really crazy offseason. The summer break happened, and my phone was still blowing up with Formula One news, which you know never happens. They usually keep the lineups for a year or two, and there's still going to be more open seats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have five more now that are still open. Five spots remain to be filled. In the driver lineup for next year, one one driver from each of these teams has not. Each team at least has one driver as of now. Haas, Alpine, Williams, Alfa Romeo, and AlphaTauri all have one open seat. So Mick Schumacher, uh, for Haas is not resigned or anything like that. Alpine, you're losing Alonso, and Alcon's still there. Williams, Albon resigned recently. They're still waiting on the word for Nicholas Latifi. Alfa Romeo, Guan Yu Zhou is right now not under contract for next year, and Yuki Sonoda for AlphaTauri is not under contract. So there's still five seats that remain to be filled, and it's September 2nd. And Pierre Gasly does have an opt-out option as well for AlphaTauri. I think he's going to stay there, but I've heard of whisperings from some Formula One gremlins on the Twitter pages that Pierre Gasly could potentially wind up having a seat at Alpine and not being in a sister or a feeder team for Red Bull at Alpha Tower. And that'd be really good for him, especially after what Red Bull did to him. I know it's probably always been in the back of his mind that he wanted to leave that feeder system. And it, I think it'd be a great fit at Alpine if Pierre Gasly went there. Yeah, and especially since it's a French team, it's a French driver, you get that. So it'd be an all-French pairing, like Mercedes is the all – British pairing of George and Lewis. You get the all-French pairing of Alcon and Pierre, so that might entice him a little bit. French drivers for a French team. Now, that's a classic. That goes back to the Ligier days of the 90s and 80s when they had two French drivers at all times, and they were a French team. Um, One thing that does jump out to me, though, is Mick Schumacher hasn't signed with the Ferrari Driver Academy or with Haas. And if you if you don't know this, Ferrari supplies the engines and some other internal components to the Haas Formula 1 team and Mick was under contract with them and so Haas was 
obligated to take Mick Schumacher, who has a legendary father, the seven-time world champion Michael Schumacher, who is a Ferrari legend. And Mick just hasn't been his father, has he? I mean, that's that's a hard that's a hard thing to try to repeat. Yeah, and I think that was kind of the expectation coming in that he wouldn't be as good as his dad. Um, and he's especially not going to be his dad in Haas machinery. No. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Ferrari. I mean, Schumacher's one of the most legendary names in motorsport, as Will Buxton once said on Drive to Survive. I watched that episode the other day. Um, but then, yeah, you're right. Michael had the opportunity to go to top teams like Ferrari in his career. He was in a Mercedes. You just have to think, like, no one could really ever repeat that, what he his dad did. I mean, Lewis is trying to, but still, people still, who's the GOAT in that comparison? But Yeah, but Michael, Michael started out in a midfield Jordan, right? And on his debut at Circuit de Spa, he had a high running. He was up into third before his car retired. And Mick's highest grid position ever is sixth. And he finished sixth. And, you know, as a team with um, with Kevin Magnuson driving and his age and his consistency, you would think that Mick would try and emulate some of K-Mag's driving. And, I mean, Kevin's highest position this season has been fourth, so it hasn't been great in qualifying, but his highest finish was second, right, ever. His highest finish was second ever. Mick scored his first points this season in his second year with, you know, a significantly better car. I'll give him that. The the car, the Haas car this year is a lot better. It's still not quite reliable as it should be, and it still gets lapped by Ferrari with the same power. So you know, there are some technology gaps there. Do you really think that this Haas team – is at the same point that Jordan was back in the day when Michael came onto the scene? That's a tough, tough question to answer. Um, You know, looking back at Jordan, they went on to win a championship with Michael Schumacher. And and if I'm not mistaken, they were also a midfield team. Do you consider Haas midfield, though? Or do you consider them bottom? Well, they were bottom of the barrel. They they've kind of become more of a lower of the middle road team now than what they. I thought coming into the year they'd be still bottom of the barrel, but they have improved a lot. Yeah, and I think some of that's on the technology, but I think heavily, heavily, some of that's in the driving by Kevin Magnuson and Mick Schumacher. Yeah, and I stand corrected on the uh, championship with Jordan. He was signed with Benetton for the rest of the 1991 season after his debut, Michael Schumacher was. So he got signed to Benetton, who was also a upper midfield team. Um, they're now Renault. Um, but it's just it's just very interesting to see the, the, the difference – in performance among the Schumachers because you've got you got Michael, you've got Ralph, you now have Mick. Um, and I think the other thing with Mick too is we can't really fully compare him yet. Mick's still a kid. 
in my eyes. Michael, when he was winning championships, he was an adult. I almost said man, but that really that analogy doesn't really make any sense. But Mick is still a kid in his early days of his F1 career, and I think that as time goes on, he could become as good as his dad. Probably won't win seven championships yeah. at all. Prob- he'll probably – he could win as many races as he did because they're going to end up adding loads of tracks on down the line, become a little bit like NASCAR is nowadays. And the other thing about Mick is, too, this decision is going to matter a lot for him. Mm-hmm. No matter where he goes, this is going to shape out the rest of his hopefully long, illustrious career. I mean, you think about it, too, I mean – the best of the spots I just named a little while ago. I mean, the best seat left is Alpine. The teams that are below it are all under fifth, under fifth place in the constructors. So, if I mean Haas is still doing a lot better, they're not in last place like they were last year. They're in seventh. They're above two of the teams that still need a driver, which are Alpatari and Williams. But with Williams, you got that historic family legacy thing. Used to be that once great team, not that really good anymore. Just. I think that that Alpine spot has become 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 very heavily wanted, and this driver stage is going to be Ricardo going back to Renault when he went that. You have Mick coming in. We said I was talking about Ben. Is P, um, does Pierre Gasly want to take that all French team thing? What what direction would they really want to go in? And I really do think this is. I don't think anybody has said this, but I think Mick at Alpine would be a good fit. Mm-hmm. I think you could snag a win. And the other thing about Alpine too, they won a race last year. They didn't did, o- yeah. Alcon, Alcon won a race. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, a hungry. very that's a that could be a very good team depending on who goes there. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, Alonso had to take them by shock. I mean, going him going to um, um, Aston Martin that kind of probably took him by shock, but. Alcon, I like Alcon as a driver. I think they'll be good still next year. And they have a good machine this year. They're in fourth in constructors. It's just some some I mean, Fernando qualified P two in Canada. So they, that's a machine that has a lot of capability, just a matter of who's behind the wheel. Ladies and gentlemen, we're gonna take a very, very short break here on the smoothest operators of ninety one point one FM. We get back, we're gonna talk about more F1 news before we Highlight this week's coming up with And welcome back into Smooth Operators, everyone. You're listening to Weagle 91.1 FM, your home for Auburn Student Radio. It's a beautiful Friday afternoon here on the Plains. Football is just around the corner. We have a game tomorrow night. That's going to be electric. But we are still talking Formula One here on the radio waves. You're hanging out with Griggs, Daniel, um, sorry, that's my other co-host, Griggs, Noah, and Ben here on in the studio. How are you guys still doing? Doing good for a show? I'm doing good, but how dare you? How dare you compare me to Daniel? I'm sorry. Uh, I, 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 that's a joke, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. He said it in the smoothest way possible. Yes. So it was not insulted. <laughs> yes, and so let's just get to know the, your co-host a little bit if you guys are listening here at Weagle for the first time whether it be on our podcast after the show or live on the air. But let's go through it so you just get to know more about us. Let's go with favorite F1 moment that you've been since a fan. So it has to be since you've been alive and you've watched it. All right, so let's start. Who's been the F1 fan the longest? Noah, how long have you been watching? Um, My first race that I watched live 
was the final race of the season two years ago. Whatever math that adds up to be. So 2020. That would be the 2020 season. What about you, Griggs? I'm the definitely the least youngest. Everyone knows that who's in the room knows me. My first race I watched was uh, Abu Dhabi of last year. I was really intrigued by that storyline. And I'm unlike most of the American fans now, where they watch Driver Survive to get into F1. But I was the one who watched a race before I got into Driver Survive. So, yeah, but I've been definitely been the fan the least. But Ben's been one for a while. Ben, how about you? Yeah, so I started watching. I remember watching the Monaco Grand Prix in 2014, I believe it was, but I didn't start consistently watching until 2019. So I guess that means I have been watching the longest. That's cool. Yeah, like it's like a new newer fan perspective. You know a lot of the history yeah. coming from that. It's just a newer, me and Noah and you some, just a newer fan perspective on how F1 is really growing in America and how people have gotten more into it. Yeah, it's it's really it's really highlighting how well Liberty Media and ESPN have handled the broadcasting of Formula One to U.S. fans. It was not marketable to me at all when I was younger. Like I didn't care. And then you know, as I as I got older, I watched my first race and just fell in love with the sport and the action and what was going on. Even though Lewis Hamilton walked everybody in the race, I still was interested in what was going on in the midfield. Like I didn't really care that much mm-hmm. about the leaders, and so. I really, really am happy to see lots of new fans. And if you're a new fan, we would love to have you. Welcome aboard. So you said the first race you ever watched was Monaco? Yes. Does that make it your favorite track? No. No. (laughs) Come on now. It's historic. Come on. So it's such a great track, but I think my personal favorite is either hmm, I'm gonna say Spa I've really liked and Singapore. Singapore is a classic. If you ever get the time, try and find the 2005 Singapore Grand Prix. It is a race for the ages. Lots of controversy there, and probably one of my favorite Formula One moments when. Um, Oh my gosh, I'm blanking on his name because this is so long ago. Fernando Alonso's teammate, Brazilian driver, Emerson Fittipaldi Jr. intentionally puts his car into the wall in order to allow Fernando Alonso to take a very strange tire strategy. Fernando pits right before and winds up gaining, I think it was 12 spots on the other teams capitalizing on Emo's crash. And Fernando pits before that, which is very suspicious. And he goes from like ninth to second on the grid. Takes, uh, I believe it was a Williams on dying tires and wins the race. Nobody says anything about it for a year. Emerson Fittipaldi comes out and sues Renault after he was fired by them, saying that they told him to crash intentionally. And Renault was suspended from the championship the next season. That's probably my favorite moment because looking back on it, it's so crazy and kind of shady. Griggs, do you want to tell your favorite track and favorite memory? Well, being that I'm so new, I'm still gaining a lot. So I'm not going to say Abu Dhabi of last year. I'm just not going to, even though that was really cool, I'm going to pick something else. Um, So far, I don't know whether this would be a controversial one or not to say this yet, but I really liked Saudi Arabia this year. That was a really fun race. And that was probably also my favorite moment. There was back and forth between Verstappen and Leclerc the entire race. That's probably the race I feel like we've had like the most. And maybe um, 
maybe England, but Great Britain, the race there, Silverstone. But before Silverstone, that was like the, really the only race that there was actually fighting between like the top two people to consistently throughout the whole race and not just one or two overtakes. But yeah, that would be my favorite moment as an F1 fan. I really, that's really the small minuscule to what Ben was talking about. But yeah, but then that Great Britain race is my favorite race of the year so far. I think uh, my favorite moment so far as an F1 fan was last year when Lewis Hamilton sent Max Verstappen into the wall at Silverstone. When that happened, I just remember immediately checking my Twitter <laughs> and every single like armchair driver just coming out of the woodwork and saying, <laughs> oh, it was Verstappen, oh, it was Lewis Hamilton. Every single person that said it was Max Verstappen, by the way, had a British flag in their Twitter profile. Funny how that works. Funny, funny how that works, but... Obviously, Silverstone is also a great, great track. Which is why those older tracks need to be, like, saved. We don't need to be losing a Monaco or a Spa. Spa is at least going to be here for one more year, so hopefully that keeps going. But they have a driver cap on the amount of races, right? I think it's 25, is what they said? Yeah, it's either 25 or 26, somewhere in that area. And, you know, eventually we may have 24 of those being in America. Probably, but then what we're gaining next year, we have you're gaining Las Vegas, you're gaining uh, Shanghai is coming back, right? Yes, that's that's correct. And then there's one more race I think they were talking about adding for next year. I can't remember what it was. Uh, it's a it's one of the countries near Russia, that's very close to it because obviously they don't want to race race in Russia anymore because of political. Can we get an Albanian Grand Prix, please? Uh, yes, but. But the re- Antarctica, baby. The reason they're taking away these old races, what they said, I mean, uh, they already said Paul Ricard's not coming back next year, which, unfortunately, people don't really care too much about that unless you're probably of French descent, maybe. It, they lost it for a long time. It came back and then just, yeah. But, no, you're also really being into NASCAR, right? How Did, did that help you get more into um, Formula One when it came back? Because Formula One was one of the first fewer sports, along with NASCAR, to come back. Oh, yes, definitely it was because uh, – the usually the Sunday that the Monaco Grand Prix comes on, it's Monaco, Indy 500, and then the Charlotte 600 or Coca-Cola 600, excuse me. And those three are the crown jewel events of motorsports. And being into all three of those sports, it's like Christmas for everybody. And you know, <laughs> obviously, it was kind of a little bit harder to wake up at eight o'clock to watch Formula One, but. It's been so enjoyable these past few years, especially when you add it on to NASCAR. I know, Griggs, you've been texting me like every other day asking me about how the playoffs work. Yeah, I, I don't I, understand NASCAR whatsoever. I mean, I what I used to remember was just they'd, be, they'd race and then the winner would be the winner, but now they have like all these like, um, what is it called? Like St- stage stages. Break. I'm like, what in the world is that? And you ain't got to worry about that, Griggs. I've been a fan of NASCAR for a long time, <laughs> and nobody understands that or why they even went to it at all. Agreed. But. If they had, okay, let's do this. We have a little bit more time before our next break, but if they could play, pick, you could pick one place to race where they're not currently racing or they're not thinking about racing in the near future. Where would you pick? Let's go, Ben first. Let's do a quick one. Or he's thinking. Yeah, I'm thinking about. I'm thinking hard about this one. Um, I'm probably gonna say Road America. It doesn't meet their criteria for Formula One, but a lot of drivers have had good things to say about that, including Sebastian Vettel. No. It's between Watkins Glen and Hockenheim in Germany. Hockenheim is such a, a historic track. As Ben throws his hands up in the air, wishing he would have said that. 
But the other thing is, too, Watkins Glen is probably the best road course in America, and I'll stand by that. I'm going to go. Uh, I didn't know the name of it. I'd like to see them race in Germany. I mean, they have so many teams now. You have a Mercedes in there. You have Audi coming in the next couple of years doing whatever there is they're doing. I have no idea. But you're having a lot more German influence on the race. When it's a sport that's been predominantly occupied by the British. And the other thing is, too, auto sports were invented in Germany. You know, when the first time they made two cars, they immediately put them on the track and race them, and they started making cars in Germany. Crazy how that is. But, yeah, that's going to do it for this segment of just learning more about us. But when we come back, unfortunately, it's our last segment of our first show. But don't worry. It's our Dutch Grand Prix preview. We're going to give our picks. Each one of us here are going to give their podiums. And then we're just going to talk more about the race coming up this weekend. You're listening to Smooth Operators on Weagle 91.1 FM. All right, welcome back to the Smooth Operators on Weagle 91.1 FM. And today has been a great day. We've kicked off our radio show, and we are about to preview the Dutch Grand Prix, do our podium picks. In case you missed us, I'm Ben. This is Griggs alongside me and Noah, my good friend, over there doing sound for us. All right, Griggs, what do you think of Zanvoort? Zanvoort, okay. Zanvoort is a, I'm trying to read all the notes, that's going to be at 8 a.m. Central Time here in America. A little bit early, all these races, most of them are early for Americans. Uh, It's a 4.259 kilometer track, a lap, and they'll race a total of 306, give or take, kilometers. And they'll have 14 turns, we'll get into more of that later, two DRS zones, and it's going to be 72 laps. So, really interesting race coming up this weekend. Have you driven it before? I have not. Noah, have you? I have driven it in the F1 game, and it is my second fastest track right before, uh, right behind the uh, Hungary Grand Prix. Hmm. Ooh, Hungary Ring's another good one. Okay, so, podiums. Noah, who are we thinking? Um, I'm going to go with the obvious winner. Max Verstappen will probably take P1. Um, P2... Probably, well, I hope it's going to be Charles Leclerc. Probably won't be, but I'm still going to put that in for my projection. And P3, I think me and you are thinking the same on this one, Ben. I think we are. George Russell is showing a lot of speed at this track. Yes, I agree. Um, There are definitely some chances for Mercedes to capitalize on Ferrari's decline in form, although they Ferrari does look kind of hot this week. Um. My podium is going to be Verstappen, followed by George Russell, followed by Sergio Perez playing rear gunner. I think Ferrari is going to mess up the tires this weekend, and they're going to cost Leclerc a potential win. All right, so here's mine. I'm just It's an interesting one since what's happened in practice one and practice two, but here's what I'm going with. I'm going thinking the same with the all-Mercedes in P3. I'm going to go George. I'm going to go George. You guys have him a little bit higher up. One, I know one of y'all had him in second, but I think it's going to be different. It's going to be what we've seen already at least twice this year. I'm saying Lewis Hamilton's going to finish second. I don't think he does enough to get the victory. He's gotten pretty close so in the more recent races to doing that. But then in first place, as everyone should project, is Max Verstappen. Even though the rate practice results in hand we have, doesn't he's not doing the greatest right now, but 
he's going to be surrounded by the Orange Army. This He wants this race really badly. It's a race that, it's his home race, even though everyone, Austria tweets it like it's his home race as well, since it's the Red Bull ring, but this, he wants this one bad. He he just got, what did he got, like, knighted or something yesterday, or, like, honored? Not like what Lewis did, but. Yeah, he got, like, uh, America's, the uh, comparison would be the American uh, Medal of Honor. Or oh, yeah, yeah. Freedom or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. Freedom, yeah. Middle freedom. Yeah, I almost got that wrong. That could have been bad. But, you know, with Austria, that's Red Bull's home race. Mm-hmm. You know, he obviously wants to win that for his club, but this race he wants to win for his country. Mm-hmm. Going back to soccer. Yeah, yes. he has that dog in him. He has that dog in him. Yeah, I he mean, does have that dog in him. I mean, yeah, it's just been a thing this year. Just Max has been unstoppable. But then people are like following this trend and stuff. I saw this on on uh, social media where Max will have like these stretches. Like he'll never win like more than like three in a row. There'll always be like a one stop, and then he'll do like two in a row after that. And this one they had listing it as him as a loss. I just can't see that really, especially being his home Grand Prix. Yeah, he's gonna go out there and just race as hard as he can. He will, like, get out and start running like Ricky Bobby at the end of Talladega Nights. Hmm. He has to <laughs> in order to get a win. He want, I think he wants this one better than any single race on the schedule. Uh, 2021 Abu Dhabi, does he want it more than that? No. Well, obviously, that, that's a little <laughs> bit different. That's a, know, that's a wee bit different. I trapped you there. I but he's you. got that dog, mm-hmm. you know. He's currently sitting P8 after FP2. Here's something interesting. Lance Stroll. Hmm is running in P6 after the second practice session with a 112.7. He's only four-tenths off of Leclerc's 112.3. That is quite a surprise. Stroll is two spots ahead of the championship leader and Fernando Alonso, who both are very capable of pulling out laps. Um, Haas is looking way off the pace except for Mick Schumacher who had a pretty outstanding performance. He is only only one and a quarter seconds off. So this is going to be an interesting shakeup, I think. I don't think teams are really showing the best that they've got. Nobody I believe I didn't watch the practice session, so y'all can determine that for yourselves. But nobody really is showing what they've got yet. I think P3 and the qualifying sessions are really going to determine the outcome of the race. Looking at the weather this weekend in Zandervoort, the Netherlands, uh, it is looking like partly cloudy, not looking like there's much chance of rain. The rain looks like it's going to be coming after the circuit on Monday-ish, but tomorrow when they're doing the the race stuff during the day, it should be around 70-ish degrees American, so that's Fahrenheit. And then the race earlier in the day, it's going to be around 70. So not looking at too much condition conditions, but... No, yeah. and track temp is about 20 degrees hotter with the sun. With the with the clouds, though, it's probably going to be about 15. Track temperature should only be about 85 degrees. So those teams that struggle getting their tires to heat up, what are they going to do to get around that? Hmm. Well, if you're Ferrari, you just put the hards on, even though they look like they've not been working the entire race, and then realize they're not great, and then pit, them again, pit Leclerc again after five laps. But... Sorry, so I'm sorry, no, if that hurt too much, I'm sorry. As I cry in this chair. I'm sorry. Reminded of the past. Can someone get Noah a box of tissues, please? Like, he is upset. And maybe like a pint of ice cream, vanilla, <laughs> maybe some chocolate swirls and some sprinkles. But, joining off this track, I know some of you guys have watched it already before. I've never watched like a live race for this one. What is something that like stands out of this track? I know what I know what it is, but Noah, do you want to say what's that one thing that stands out from this one other than the other ones? It's got that 
spanking, baby. NASCAR, honey. The, the only track on the schedule that really has any sort of banking, and it's an amazing thing to watch these cars go a little bit sideways and have to rely on that grip from the tires to keep them from sliding off. They were running three wide at the start last year out of that bank turn three. It was intense. You you will see some passing here. There might not be as much at some of the uh, other tracks that are really good at overtaking, like the Hungaro ring. But that bank corner is going to be a lot of fun. There's a really good high-speed section, turn 14, 15, and then into 16 down that home straight. will be very fun to watch. I'm excited for this race. And the other great thing about this circuit is the Sector 2. It's not the greatest passing place, but the skill you have to get to get through it is one of the hardest on the schedule. And it's a very enjoyable thing to watch, to watch these drivers push that car as hard as they can through the twists and turns of Sector 2. There's even a blind corner, if I remember correctly, from the F1 game. It is quite sketchy and quite a good possibility for a spin or two. Makes you hold chaos. on to the wheel. As Lando Norris once said, chaos? Chaos. Chaos. That's what we, as long as our, one of our drivers are always near the top, we always like a little bit of chaos now and again. But with just nothing like Silverstone again, please. Yeah. But with a little bit of the time we have left, let's just do something. We've already given our podium predictions, but we'll be back here next week again, folks, for this, a recap of the Dutch Grand Prix and the next, what is the next Grand Prix? Singapore. Uh, no, Singapore. Italy. Italy. Oh, Italy. Yes, we're Italy. going to Monza. Mm. Ooh, circuit of speed and the circuit of pain maybe for Ferrari if they get something wrong sorry again no I'm just taking so many ricochet well, why shots do you, why do you right hate now. me man I'm sorry I'm, I love it's you it's low hanging fruit man but okay so let's just do we already did the podium alright I'm going to point to each of you going to get like a minute to describe what you think it's going to be a pole and then two other things that you think are going to happen in this race so we didn't do pole earlier so let's start with Ben minute pole and two things you think are going to happen in this race besides the podium Okay, so pole lap goes to Charles Leclerc with a 1 minute 11.6. That's down to the 10th of the second. You heard me, folks. And I think some things that are going to happen, they pit Leclerc too early, and Verstappen steals it. Verstappen steals it. No, what are you thinking? Um, I think we're – actually, I'm going to have a little bit of fun with this. George Russell on the pole. Uh, I also think that we're going to see four – do not finishes uh, on the race. And I, of course, think Verstappen will eventually pass George Russell probably in the first three laps. For me, it's interesting to think because I, th- I already said my podium, but for a rate, I don't think Charles can do anything on his end. I don't think he's going to make another driver error on this one where if he, I'd say he finished first, I don't think it's going to be on him. I don't see Ferrari under all the scrutiny they already have going under to just mess it up that badly again. But I don't think Verstappen's going to win pole. I think, I think it's unfortunately time for most of us in here. I think it's time Lewis is going to get that pole position. That's my pole. That's also one of my bold predictions for this one. I think just it's been all year. He's one of the top two drivers ever. People, he needs to add that stat so F1 can tweet about it saying Lewis Hamilton has a pole in this many consecutive seasons. So I feel like it's only a matter of time it's going to happen. I think it's going to be this one and then the random one. I think. Hmm, let's see. I had some random ones last week, but yeah, okay. I think Haas is going to get – yeah, we already said that Haas is not doing good. They're going to get some points. I think Haas will get points, but I think Albon. I think Albon's going to get in the points again. That's going to be rare. He looked so fast on that, and if he can hit those, especially that straight going into the finish line, I think it can be a big thing for, 
for him, and I think that that's going to happen. I think he's going to be get some points. Well, that in a Williams, which is crazy, but that turn from fourteen all the way to one. I think he's that straight line sweep of his Williams that we saw last week is going to make a big difference on that. All right, guys. It looks like this is going to be the end of episode one. We want to thank you all for bearing with us for our first episode, whether we did or not. If you want to interact with us, we have our Twitters in the beginning of the show. We're going to be on you uh, on podcasts later, specifically Spotify. We'll be back here next week. For Ben McClurkin, Noah Phillips, I'm Greg Blankenberg. We'll see you next week. It's the Checker Flag and War Eagle. War Eagle. That's all we have today for Smooth Operators, Weagle's exclusive F1 show. In case you missed some of the show or just want to relive all your favorite parts, check us out on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Till next time, this has been the smoothest operators of Weagle 91.1 FM.